Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within, to seek out new joys and new methods of awakening, to boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Well, welcome, Awareness Explorers. This is Jonathan and my trusty co-host. Brian Tom O'Connor. Is there? Are you there? I'm here. There you are. There you Somewhere. Are. I'm very excited today to have not only a great guest explorer, but a personal friend of over 25 years, I think now, which is almost embarrassing to say. Um, and uh, I'll say a little bit about John just from personal experience. I uh, knew John Aston because he is a great singer-songwriter. In fact, he's my favorite singer-songwriter in the world. So for me, this is like interviewing Paul McCartney or something. Um, but not only is he a great singer-songwriter, uh, I found out later, kind of unrelated, that he's also a very well-known researcher in the field of consciousness and a uh, mystic himself. So we have a lot of great questions to ask him. He just came out with a new book called, uh, why don't you say the name of your book, uh, John? It's called This Extraordinary Moment. And it has a subtitle too, right? Yes. Um Moving beyond the mind to embrace the miracle of what is. We're going to ask him about his book because I found it very interesting. And uh, Deepak Chopra had a really nice thing to say about it. And it's also a new way of exploring awareness, I think, in some ways. And it's a uh, approach that is now starting to gain momentum, as far as I know. And I call it the approach of pure experience. I don't know if John will call it that, but it seems to be something that I'm hearing a lot about, I'm starting to read about, and John has a lot of practical tools to help people move in that direction. So let me ask you a first question, John. Every now and then I'm reading consciousness research information, and I come across your name, it always surprises me. It'd be like, you know, reading about Paul McCartney and then finding out that he's this well-known uh, botanist or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so you've created some measurements of mysticism and consciousness in some ways, and I don't really know much about them, but um, I've heard that you have some kind of test that you've created that helps people to measure their state of consciousness. Is that a safe way of putting it? Yeah, I think I know what you're referring to. Um, a, a doctoral student of mine many years ago was doing his dissertation on, um, he was interviewing a number of non-dual spiritual teachers probing into their experience of reality and trying to kind of understand that. And uh, so he and I came up with um, together an impossible task of trying to capture through a, a sort of self-report little survey, something about people's experience in relationship to spiritual realization and so on. And, and we called it the non-dual embodiment thematic inventory, the neti. And the, uh -huh. you know that term from Sanskrit. It's a, good good it's acronym. A, yeah. And then um, we never did anything about it. Other He used it in his dissertation. And then some people got hold of it. I think Jeffrey Martin of the finders course got a hold of it somehow because he and I had been in touch and he apparently expanded upon it a bit and then they used mm -hmm. it in some of their research and uh yeah you know it's a funny thing because <laughs> in a certain way it's ironic that you're bringing this up because in so much of the essence of what I'm writing about and teaching about is that what's going on here let's call it reality or experience, whatever we call it, we're just throwing a name at it. it's whatever's present here right now, is simply not, it, it's not uh, capturable. It's not conceivable, actually. It's not, we're not able to put it into a box of any sort. So here we were attempting, my student and I attempting to put 
the ineffable into some sort of measurable box, which is really a fool's errand. But we were trying it anyway. And, uh, you know, like a lot of measures of subjective experience that are used in research psychology, let's say, they're all attempting the same thing, which is the impossible. Yeah. And so they're quite crude, you know, efforts to, to try to gauge a sense of, get a sense of what the nature of people's experience is. And, uh, but we tried and it was an interesting endeavor, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it's important to try to bring it into a science, realizing with a, a certain humility that you're trying something that's impossible. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering from these interviews and, and such of the tests, what you learned from that experience about awareness. Hmm. It's been quite a while since, since we did that. I think we were looking at, you know, at the time, I mean, it was more of my emphasis then, but we were looking at things that we might, one might imagine would be reflective of somebody who had discovered more of the inseparable, indivisible nature of things, how that might then manifest itself in their life. So things like greater sense of freedom, greater sense of ease, greater sense of basically being less defended, more um, able to experience the full range of human experience without sort of needing to guard against certain experiences or defend against certain experiences. So some of these were some of the things that we were, um, we were looking at. And uh, yeah, it seemed, it seemed as if people who had been exploring these matters and discovering them more deeply were reporting some very much, you know, some of those, some of those qualities and characteristics that I was just talking about. Yeah. 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 Brian, I know uh, you have a lot of questions for John, so I want to <laughs> stop interrogating him for a moment. <laughs> oh, sure. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, yeah. I mean, since we're, uh, since this is the awareness explores podcast, I, I do have a lot of questions about your ideas mm-hmm. about awareness. And one of them is that, Uh, You mentioned in your book, This Extraordinary Moment, that awareness, when it's described as the light with which everything is known, can seem a little abstract or difficult Mm -hmm. to grasp for some people. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering how you would help people to to grasp that a little better. Mm. Well, it's probably probably good for me to come right out of the chute and say that um, I don't and I think Jonathan knows this from some of our conversations, I don't really talk very much about awareness these days. I don't emphasize it in the teaching. It's very, it's very de-emphasized in the book, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it can be a useful... I mean, the thing is, here's what's tricky, is when we talk about awareness, where the, the, the implication is that and, and inviting people to discover awareness, let's say, and it, it, the implication in a sense is that there's something other than awareness. In other words, we're singling out, we're partializing some aspect of the field of experience, if you will, and, and labeling that awareness in contrast to what exactly? <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's a very good question. Um, so I, I think that, um, how can I say? I, the way I approach inquiring into the nature of things is um, I, I take a kind of a simple approach, I think, which is just to say something is always present. Something's here that seems undeniable. There's, a, there's an actuality. Something is, see, this is here. Something's appearing, we could say, right? We know that. It's known that something's present. And really the, the central question of the book my work now is what is that that's present i mean what is it actually fundamentally what's its nature and of course we humans and the consciousness if you will of the human has found innumerable ways to characterize what's present right to describe it and define it categorize it and characterize it which is remarkable um but what's so interesting is that we because of that powerful capacity to seemingly capture in language and concepts what this is, what any moment of experience might be, however we might characterize it, 
it leads us to kind of believe and assume that we actually know what it is because we have a name for it. And that holds true, by the way, for what we might as spiritual folk call awareness. Mm -hmm. As I could ask the same question about awareness as I might of any other thing we might label as an experiential phenomena, if you will, and, and ask the same question as I do in the book. Well, what, what is it? What is awareness? And when I pose that question, I always want to emphasize that the question of what is this? What is any experience? It is not an analytical question. It's not a question to ponder intellectually and come up with uh, a sort of a analytical, if you will, explanation for what it is. Oh, awareness is the firing of neurons in the brain, or even to say awareness is the knowing function of the mind, or even that is an analytical response. When I say, what is it? I mean, yeah, what is it? actually like what's it um i say i say in, in the book i say what's it made of mm -hmm. what's the what's the substance if there is any substance to it by asking those questions are you yeah. and there's a lot of one of the things i liked about the book is there were a lot of practical mm -hmm. exercises to help mm -hmm. people go from their mental labels trying to figure out awareness or trying to figure out what they're experiencing to a uh, almost like a Zen-like direct experience of mm -hmm. everything all at once. Mm -hmm. is, is that what a lot of these exercises and questions are trying to do? Hmm. I mean, uh, ultimately, I would say they're, they're, the, the, the inquiries and the guided practices are designed to reveal, uh, evoke the recognition that what's here is not resolvable. It is not graspable. It is not, it can't actually be pinned down as being something, actually. You can't get to the bottom of what anything is. And even the simplest, most mundane of human experiences, like, I don't know, the taste of a strawberry. Okay, so you know what that is, and I give it to you, and you taste, and you go, oh, I know what that is. It's a taste of a strawberry. But if you actually, I say, I, the word I use a lot is feel. You feel into the experience. And it's very hard to, in fact, I don't even know how to explain how to do that in a sense, <laughs> any more than I can explain how to balance yourself while you're walking. I can't, no one can explain that to another human. It's like you have to find your own way to figure out how to, or how to swing on a swing. You don't mm -hmm. know. I remember trying to teach my daughter how to swing on a swing, and I realized I actually couldn't do it. She had to find her own way to it. And I think it's quite similar to feel the nature of what's here. What's, what's interesting is, is that all we're ever doing is feeling the nature of what's here. So it's actually quite easy. <laughs> yeah. That's what's happening yeah. right now is you're feeling the nature of what's here. And very quickly, consciousness renders a seemingly resolves what it is. Oh, well, what's here is me sitting in a room talking on a computer with my old friend and, and, and another guy, Brian, who I've just met. You know, it's like, it's, it's instantly rendered that entire thing. Like, I mean, talk about a miracle that it can do that. Like, just like that, right? Yeah. So what is it actually doing? I mean, how is, how is it taking what is arguably a sea of infinite information and complexity and, 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 and turning it into Oh, this is what it is. And uh, there's no answer to how it does that. I mean, it's just, it's unfathomable. But if we investigate like our actual experience, we can begin to discover that and this is the essence of the book is that what we think, the original title of the book is it's not what you think it is. And the reason I like that title so much is that it captures the essence of what I'm talking about, which is what, well, let's take something that's very mundane, like somebody you know in your life, like your wife, okay? Mm -hmm. So you have a relationship with this person and you carry around with you a whole host of ideas about who she is, right? Mm -hmm. That's just natural. And, and you can even recognize, oh, there she is, right? I mean, that's her, that's my wife. I can see her, she's recognizable. 
I recognize certain personality characteristics that are familiar to me. So you, these are all kind of your working framework of, of, of who your wife is, right? But if you actually feel into who she is and explore what she, explore what she is experientially, the, the experience of her is- In the moment. Yeah, which is the only, right, that's the only time you can ever experience her, right? <laughs> yeah, but, right, right. Yes, but yes, in the moment. Um, you can quickly begin to see that she, she's wildly, what she is is completely beyond your ideas of what she is. Yeah. She's much, 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 much more. In other words, your ideas are like a very crude oversimplification of the complexity and the depth and the multidimensionality that is that being. You could never hope to capture her or anyone else or yourself or any phenomena that you experience in life with any of your conceptual maps. And to me, this so, is patently obvious. So part of a, a spiritual explorer's jobs, so to speak, is to, first of all, realize this funneling reality and turn into concepts is always going down on. We're really a couple steps away from reality and to try to get closer to it by first being aware of that process and maybe doing simple practices that bring us closer to the actual experience of infinity in this moment. Yeah, I mean, I think that, and, and, and yes, and we don't need, the, the cool thing is that we don't need to get rid of the concepts, nor really can we, as far as I can tell. I mean, there's mm -hmm. times maybe where the, the conceptual apparatus gets so quieted or so shut down maybe through intensive practices or drugs or something that that can happen. But, but it's not necessary because the actuality is, it's like the, the two, it's almost like two realities existing simultaneously. There's what's here and then there's the interpretation of it and they coexist quite happily and they're not actually two things. Yeah. They're one thing. But, mm. you know, here's a simple example. So, so the case is, sounds overly abstract. So conceptually speaking, we carry around with us this assumption, and it's just a you know, conventional reality, that we're sep separate subjects in a world of objects, navigating a world of objects, right? I mean, that's just, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's just an assumption that... that we walk around with. And now if we just feel experience, like feel what's here, I ask you guys both uh, and anyone listening, can you actually find in your experience any boundary whatsoever, any line of separation anywhere? It's all made up. Yeah, experientially, there are no boundaries mm -hmm. anywhere. You never get to a point where something ends and then something new begins, you know, as you might with a, and I, you know, have a boundary, like, oh, I get there and there's the wall and then beyond the wall is the next phenomena. No, it's, it's an inclusive continuum. It's seamless. There's no edge anywhere experientially. So that's a, an example where, as I say in the book, if you look, you will begin to notice that experience deviates in radical ways from what we think is going on here. Mm -hmm. And that's just one example. I mean, another is that we imagine that experience is actually definable, but if you actually look at experience, you can begin to notice that you can't, you can't put it into words. Actually, you can't try to convey what you're experiencing right now. Yeah, as I read your book, it started to be a little bit like a drug trip because it, it subtly uh, attacks your experience of reality from a lot of different angles until eventually, you know, there was like a surrender. Okay, I give up. And, um, and I started to experience things outside of my uh, mental constructs so much. And I found that really interesting. Was that your experience, Brian? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, uh, the more I uh, tried out the practices that are described, the more the direction of attention went away from the conceptual 
into direct experience. And you describe that direct experience as, well, as indescribable, as ineffable, as, as there's so much more going on than how we label it and how we categorize it. But it did leave me with a question, mm. although I could feel it directly as an enjoyable or an intense or an awakening or enlarging experience. I'm still curious about how or why seeing experience as indescribable is beneficial. In other words, what, mm -hmm. how does it help us with our, our well-being and, and happiness? Well, that's a good question um, and certainly one that <laughs> many people would ask because often what brings us to teachings, you know, is uh, some sense of trying to find freedom from some aspect of our experience, right? Mm -hmm. Resolution of something that's troubling us or some version of suffering. Um, yeah, the thing, about, the thing about a lot of the ways that we describe phenomena is that the implications are not that great, you know? Um, you know, that I'm a, a vulnerable creature in a, in a, you know, potentially very hostile world and there's all these potential threats and lacking something and in search of something to fill that lack. And I mean, you know, there's so many implications of the ways, based on the ways we typically describe experience. But, and you know, in, in, the, in the classic sense, it's like we, we divide the world up into the, the experiences that I equate with well-being and then I seek those out, whether they're more conventional or spiritual things like enlightenment and realization and um, bliss and and on the other side there's the experiences that I don't equate with well-being and I try to minimize those or avoid them altogether or mm -hmm. escape them right and this is just you know this is this sort of describes a lot of human experience right we're trying to rearrange our lives in such a way to feel better and it's natural and there's nothing wrong with that and I say even I have one of the first chapters in the book I call it two approaches to happiness and the one I just described is the conventional one and it's great you know try to do that as much as possible you know move in the direction of the things that bring you joy and, um, and that you value and um, that's great and try to minimize the other right but but there's a whole nother way to approach this which is what the book's all about which is is it possible to discover something in every experience that really is the most profound kind of well-being, you could say, a well-being that transcends any kind of dichotomous notions of well-being as this in contrast to that, which is how we typically think of it, right? Um, positive and negative states of mind, for example. So is there something, I think maybe the most important chapter in the whole book is called The Common Denominator. And it, it looks at experience, which is complete diversity. I mean, everything for, at the level of description is different, right? So the question of the common denominator is what do experiences share in common? Because if we're looking for some kind of, let's say whatever it is we're aspiring to, freedom, well-being, realization, um, contentment, all these aspirational sort of qualities, it's like, is it possible to discover something that's in every experience that really, uh, that we can find that which we're aspiring for in every experience? And I would suggest yes. And and one of the most profound common denominators is this inconceivable, indefinable nature of every experience, which we could also just call, Jonathan said earlier, is the infinite nature of what is. And that infinite nature, that unresolvable, ungraspable, you know, in Buddhism, they call it empty nature. It's not a great word because it conjures up a lot of negative notions because it's really almost more a fullness than an emptiness. Mm -hmm but it's a it's a fullness that you can't find you can't grasp hold of and yet it's full <laughs> um and that's true of every experience from the most blissful to the most horrific mm -hmm. actually at the level of the description no pleasure is pleasure and pain is pain and they're different and i prefer pleasure over pain right <laughs> for sure i do and i still do but that's at the level of description at the level of the actual nature of the experience more fundamentally, more primally, is no, actually pleasure, I can't really tell you what it is. Yes, I could say it's pleasure, but I can't really grasp hold of what that is. And the same with pain, actually. 
So that kind of puts and, pleasure and pain on an equal footing. Yes. And, and uh, I mean, so in, that, the, in the Dzogchen Tibetan Buddhist tradition, they talk about the equalness of everything. That everything yeah. is equal. And it's equal in several ways. It's equal in the fact that it's present. That's another profound common denominator of every experience is its presence. No matter how it's showing up descriptively, qual how, however the qualities and the textures and the flavors of it, what everything has in common is that it's here, that it's present. And so that's also another very powerful way to, and there's many meditations in the book about this, of starting to get a feeling of, of how, what it is that we're looking for is ever present. Mm -hmm. And it's ever present as the sheer fact of what's here. It's always here, even if it always looks different. Then would it be fair to say that discovering that common denominator of presence and that sort of equality of, of pain and pleasure as both indescribable and both equally present reduces our need to grasp for one thing and avoid another thing and therefore uh, increases our well-being? Yeah, I mean, I, that would be one way to put it. I would also say that in a sense, it's, it's um, maybe a better word is freedom. You know, it's really freedom from all of the, if you can't say what this actually is, you can't get to the bottom of what it is. That's freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no, in fact, you could say it's beyond freedom and bondage. In other words, you can't characterize it. It's neither in a sense. But if we put it in some sort of human terms, we would say it's liberating because you're, you're liberated from all the notions that you have about it as good, bad, or otherwise. It's just pure free fall. And that's, that's true no matter the state that's here, no matter the seeming appearance of, of what's present here. That's always the case. And, and so we're, we're free from all the conceptual frameworks, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm wondering, literally. you know, I, I get what you're saying. And <laughs> I, I would like to explore, like how this interacts with, with the, the craft that we have to deal with in life. Uh -huh. And um, <laughs> I know, you know, being your friend, you've, you've experienced some significant losses recently. Uh -huh. Yes. And I'm wondering how it affected you because you're writing a book mm. about this during a time that a lot of difficult things were mm -hmm. happening in your life. And yeah. in a personal way, were you using this concept as a, as a way to deal with that or... Um, how, how did it impact you to have these two things going on at the same time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I, I, uh, I'll just say without going into the details, which aren't necessary, that I you know, experienced a significant loss and of something that I valued a lot, a relationship. And so... I mean, in, in some ways, I, I wouldn't really say that I was sort of trying to apply the concepts in some sort of way to remedy the situation or, you know, fix the situation. Not that one can't do that, but it's a little bit more like there's just a kind of a, a, a very natural sort of knowing that even when all hell's breaking loose, there's enough, everything's fine, you know. So that's just like, it, I don't have to fix anything because nothing's ever broken. One channel is showing stuff which you don't like, but the other channel is always there and it's not like or not like. Exactly. But that, that said, I did have an opportunity because of the mm -hmm. intensity of what was being experienced to be curious about it and explore its nature in the same way that I absolutely do invite people to do in the book. So yes, in that sense, I said, okay, well, you have an opportunity to take these intense waves of experience that are moving through me that I'm encountering and explore their nature. So at one level, you know, if I, if I would describe what I was experiencing was just this profound sense of grief, you know, just like, you know, just heart shattering grief. I, I might call it in, in, in those sort of human terms. So what's so interesting though, is that 
in the midst of those moments of uh, when, the, when I was being visited by those profoundly strong waves of emotion, if you will, I just was like, oh, wow, well, what is this? Just as I was asking at the outset of our conversation, what is this actually? I mean, I call it grief or heartbreak or whatever, but what is it actually? And the way I answer that question is I, I uh, it's kind of like this. If I say, what is water made of? You know, one answer is, well, it's oxygen and you know, hydrogen in this particular combination. Or, but another thing, way to know what water is is to stick your hand in water, right? Yeah. And you can actually feel what water is. <laughs> and there's a kind of an intelligence, a kind of a knowing of what the nature of water is by feeling it, right? And so I would say when I said earlier, like how to, how to tell somebody how to in, instruct someone about feeling into the nature of experience. That's a, a metaphor that I'll sometimes use. And so in this case, I just felt, what is this experience? In the same way, I would put my hand in the water to feel what water is. And of course, what I realize is what you always realize, which is the same thing, is that I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. It's like... I could reduce it to some sort of basic things like we could say it's like a, like a presence of energy. It's an aliveness. It's a, it's life itself. It's, um, but as I just kept exploring that, I just kept feeling it's just a complete mystery of, of, um, I don't know, you know, you just left speechless because you can't really say what it is. It's, it's, um, it's the presence of the mystery itself. Mm -hmm. And from that perspective, it's like, if I put it in theological terms, it's just God. Yeah. Just like everything else. So it's very interesting. It's like, I, I think more and more these days that reality is like kaleidoscopic. It's like from one perspective, it looks like this, you know, from another perspective, it looks like this. Get very far away from it. It looks like this. Get really, really close up. It looks like this. Um, look at it from this point of view, you know, and so it's like turning the kaleidoscope and we can see everything almost from an infinite number of perspectives. And so in a sense, from one perspective, it's like, oh my God, this is a terrible thing. And I don't wish this on anyone. And it's really difficult and challenging. And I'm looking forward to when it ends. That's like one perspective. And then you just shift the kaleidoscope and from another perspective, it's, it's the bliss of reality itself. I mean, literally. It's complete aliveness, complete mm -hmm. vitality, complete presence of existence itself, showing up in that particular way. And, and touching into that is profoundly liberating because you realize, I said this to a friend recently, it's a kind of irony. It feels like the more I am catapulted in a certain way beyond the human, even calling ourselves humans is just a description. What are we really? We're a dance of transcendental energy and light and consciousness. And I mean, I'm just throwing words at something that can't be described. But, um, you know, it's... I completely lost my train of thought. That's what happens when you start talking about this stuff sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, you're, going, you're going beyond the mental concepts now and, and you can't come back. Where did I go? You had a question, Brian. Well, you're in the bliss of reality, as you described, which was such a beautiful phrase. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I know there was a point I was going to make, but oh well, um, maybe it'll well, come it, back. It, but... It'll come to you. But but meanwhile, it, it yeah. occurred to me as you were talking about putting your hand into water, water. and really yeah. asking, what is this experience of grief? What really is it? Mm -hmm. That you're really diving into it and you say it's unknowable, but in another sense, you are knowing it in that you are not separating yourself. You're experiencing it. You're not pushing it away. And therefore, you're kind of dropping the strategies that you have to not have certain feelings that you don't want. And it seems to me that it's often those strategies to avoid feelings right. that is the, uh, right. the difficulty and the pain. Yeah, you just brought me right back to the point I wanted to make, so thank oh, you. Oh, good. Um, which was that as I'm catapulted out of the human, in a sense, or I recognize more and more 
the transcendental nature of every experience. It is beyond our ideas and concepts. In a funny way, it's like the more freed up I feel to just be the full, the fullness of what we might call a human being is because there's no, I remember when I was going through this particularly difficult time and I was talking with a friend and they were, they were kind of having a, they could feel like there was a lot of emotion and they were sort of wanting me to not be feeling that. And like, mm -hmm. come on, you know, it's like, you know, stop being so upset or something like that. And, <laughs> and I, and I, and the thought occurred to me, is like, why would I want to stop that? Mm -hmm. It was literally this feeling of like, I, I don't know. It was just this sense of like, it was completely fine to be experiencing that. Even though I wouldn't wish it on anyone necessarily. And, yeah. and that's what I mean by it's like, you realize that the things that we think of as problems that are binding us or threats to us are neither binding us nor threatening us actually, mm -hmm. because they're not actually really things. They're ungraspable infinity. And so we're free to experience anything and everything and nothing's in a way, nothing's gained or lost. Yeah. One of my yeah. favorite quotes uh, from Buddhism and one of the sutras might be the diamond sutra says by incomparable enlightenment, I attained not even the least thing. Mm -hmm. There's nothing actually to be gained or lost. Except maybe your concepts. <laughs> you mean in terms of losing them? <laughs> no. Yeah. In yeah. terms of you lose your concepts so that you're, you don't lose your concepts. You just, you, you begin to lose the, the assumption that your concepts are actually able to capture reality. Right. But, but right. it seems like the concepts continue to be generated quite spontaneously. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. It's, it's funny to think like if you take like a big step back and you say like, this is all just reality doing this, you know, uh, you don't even have to take a big step back. It's like, it's like reality is trying to know itself. It generates all these interpretations of itself, but it can't mm -hmm. ever really know itself. It's like a mystery unto itself. Yeah. It can't ever really grasp itself because it is ungraspable. It's not, it makes sense if it's an infinite, universe there it can't be defined right by its very nature mm -hmm. well you know for people who who are new to this approach we'll call it you have a lot of exercises and things like that in the mm -hmm. book and i'm wondering if there's one or two that you could give to people as a as a primer of you know try this and see where it leads you Mm -hmm. I give them a little bit of a taste and, and then after you do that, maybe we'll go into some kind of guided meditation. I always like to listen to your singing. So that might be part of it as well. But um, I, I think this, this approach is, is really cutting edge and people should come up with seeing what it's like to explore it in themselves and, and any hints you have for doing that would be appreciated. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that we're curious by nature as creatures, and I think the curiosity I say in the beginning of the book, it, I, I I encourage people to approach the, the investigations just from a place of curiosity, rather than almost like they're a scientist, but again, an experiential scientist. Like I'm investigating what this is, but I'm doing it with the tools of my own experience. It's like experience is the great tool to, to investigate itself. It's like looking at itself, feeling itself, knowing itself, inquiring into itself. Mm -hmm. um, and rather than approaching it from the standpoint of like, okay, I'm trying to get something, I'm trying to fix something, enter into the, the investigation from this place of like, oh, I, I don't know what this is. Don't assume that, because the assumption that we know, we kind of foreclosed on, and that can function as a kind of a, a bit of a barrier to, to discovery, just like it does in science. If we think we already know what the atom is composed of, it's hard to see with a kind of freshness and, and openness, right? Yeah. It's the same here, you know, to come, and that is maybe the only thing that's tricky about it, the inquiry from my standpoint, which is that 
you know, I mean, you know, I do this with my students. I teach grad students and I talk about this stuff as well. And I was just doing the other night. I, I, I said, okay, well, just name how you're feeling right now. If you pick one word to describe what you're feeling. And somebody said, well, I feel kind of tired right now. I said, okay. Okay. So I said, well, what is tired? What is it? And the, the example that I use, which I think seemed to be helpful is here. If I, I have a word to describe this thing here, right? It's called an iPhone. So that word points to something in experience, points to this, right? The word points to that. So what does the word tired in this example, what's it pointing to? Mm -hmm. What's it referring to actually? Go there, go to what it's referring to. And that's a really powerful. I love that exercise, yeah, yeah. Really powerful, what is it referring to? And there, of course, they could, they didn't have an answer. I said, well, that's the answer. <laughs> Don't know what, you know, it's, it's like, it seems like this is the trippy thing. It's like, it's like pattern recognition. It's like, we see this thing called tired. It's like a pattern of, it's a way that life seems to be patterning itself as contrasted with exhilarated. It's a different pattern of life, we could say, right? And it's recognizable just like that. I, I know what it feels like. I know what tired feels like. It feels like tired, right? It's a pattern. I can see it. But then when you go to investigate what are the things that make up that pattern, you discover that it hasn't, there is no pattern there, actually. It's unpatterned. It's unstructured. It's open and It's always moving. It's always changing. Well, that is probably when I talk about, and we said earlier that finding out the ways in which experience deviates from what we think it is, you just hit upon maybe the most important piece, which is that we imagine we live in a world where things are holding still, like you're more or less stable. Like you are yeah. what you are now that kind of like you were more or less a, a second ago and five minutes ago. Right. Yeah. But actually you're not. Yeah. I like, I like to say that uh, we l look at the world and ourselves like we're nouns, but everything's a verb. I so funny. I just wrote that this morning. I wrote. Oh, you stole it from me. Is what I you did. did. You just transmitted it to me through the ether. No, I wrote. There are no nouns, and there's only one verb. Uh huh. Being. Yeah. Everything is. Everything yeah. is being. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. But the reason there's no nouns is that whatever it seemingly becomes as a thing, because it's dynamic. What are you naming? You know, it's different in the next instant. So it's never holding still. And again, this is simple. Just notice your experience. It's, it has no duration. It's always changing. Mm -hmm. And the implications of that are quite profound. Yeah, yeah. They're quite profound because they completely shatter our conventional notions of what's going on here, don't they? Mm -hmm. And that, you, you don't went, have to sit on a cushion for 30 years to find that out. Just look right now and see that nothing's holding still. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's made you such a, a, a good teacher is you have a couple of ways of impacting people. One is through a scientific viewpoint. One is through, you know, little exercises like what you just gave, but also impacting people through your music and the heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, I find that pretty unique because most people gravitate towards one or the other. And you seem to, you know, it's like a, a triple whammy. Uh, so, um, I get too I, bored I, doing one thing. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's good for us. And you know, you've affected a lot of people through your music and opening that way. And I'm I'm hoping that maybe you could be give people a taste of what I'm talking about because a lot of our listeners don't know your music. But it does seem to really open people's consciousness. I mean, I, I listened to probably one song of yours every day for 10 years as the beginning of my meditation because it would take my vibration from one level to a much higher level. Mm. And anything you can say about that or, or maybe give people a little bit of taste of what that is that I'm talking about because I think it's a it's a very underutilized thing. You'll sometimes use the words of Rumi in your songs or mm -hmm. other mystics. And it's really a, um, like a, a ride that you're taking people on to maybe raise their vibration. And, and 
I'm wondering if you look at it that way and maybe you can uh, give people a taste of what that's like. Mm. Yeah, I'm happy to can share a little song over the over the over our Zoom call. That'd be nice. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand the mechanics of how music impacts us. Um, I remember the great uh, Sufi musician and mystic Khazar Nayak Khan uh, said that you know we're at one level fundamentally we're vibratory creatures, you know, energy vibrating, and music is of course vibration, and maybe that's one reason it it has such a powerful it can have such a powerful impact. I'm I'm certainly intentionally creating music with a with the idea of evoking something of what we have been talking about for the last, you know, half hour or whatever. So for example, I was talking about finding this common denominator, right? So there's a song maybe I can do called No Escape that that sings basically about this that we think we're seeking something like freedom or being in the present moment. And imagine that what we're seeking is not this right now as it is mm -hmm. that's why we're seeking it right mm -hmm. but what i'm suggesting in the song i'm pointing to is that no actually everything is made of this same inconceivable substanceless substance so we're never apart from it there's only this it's my favorite word these days is this there's just this and this is it yeah there isn't anything else <laughs> ever. And this song is really very much about that. And it uses the metaphor of, you know, there's just this ocean of this and the ocean's nature is that it's wet. And so everything is wet with that ocean of, of beingness, that ocean of existence, that ocean of reality itself. Would you like me to share that song? Is it now a good time to do that? Yeah. Yeah. And as you get your guitar, I would invite our listeners to, uh, when you listen to a John Aston song, you're kind of being guided on a a musical meditation and somehow the words and the music are really a guided meditation to take you to a certain place and with that introduction uh i'd love to hear that me too i just want to say one one thing that's kind of a fun play kind of uh on the paradox of things in the song which is that it's what i'm basically singing about is that in a sense, we're trapped here. You can't get out of here. Try to get out of here. The presence of what's here, you can't escape it, right? Where would you go? You would go, if you went somewhere else, you would still be here. <laughs> mm -hmm. So no matter where you go, you're always here. So in that sense, you're stuck. You're stuck here. Turns out though, that that's the great liberation is that everyone's trying to get in the here. People write books about it. Be here now. It's like, you know, the power of now. It's like, you know, you can't escape now. There's nothing to seek for other than to recognize that there's no escape. That's what the song is called, No Escape. The mic that you have picked up your voice better than the guitar. Uh-huh. And so I'm wondering, I mean, it may be fine for the podcast. Mm -hmm. I may listen, but I was wondering if we might try another take yeah, or okay. another option is that we actually just play, uh as the meditation play the song from your cd though i you don't could know. do that you could do sure. that uh-huh yeah so yeah i mean that would be an alternative would be to go ahead and said you know we're gonna um we're gonna play you know john recording of john's piece here and you know we can get an mp3 of it and i can uh splice that in
Everything is wet the ocean There's no escape from here We are hopelessly Trapped inside this maze of truth There is no dry land here Cause everything is wet, everything is wet Everything is wet in the ocean Everything is wet, everything is wet Everything is wet in the ocean What grace to know letting the waves of everything is wet crash over you and open to it. Lovely. No matter what that wave is. Exactly. Yeah. It's all the ocean. Doing what it does, which is waving. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, it's nice, see? Beautiful. Listening to that always changes my consciousness, and I have a feeling I'm going to have the... Uh, Everything is wet in the ocean. Follow me throughout the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like a modern day mantra. <laughs> yeah. It, it's amazing though, isn't it, to see that, like something like that can, as you say, sort of change our experience. But the real change that I'm, that I'm interested in, if you will, is, is revealing that experience doesn't need to change mm -hmm. as fun as that is when it changes and in, in, in extraordinary seemingly more extraordinary open awake kind of ways the real as i as i w wrote somewhere in one of my books the, the most special experiences are the ones that reveal the specialness of all experience <laughs> yeah and awakened people seem to have that's really the essence. They're not resisting anything. Mm -hmm. And until one lets go of trying to manipulate experience, mm -hmm. you are always trapped. Seemingly, yeah. Yeah. That's the funny thing is it's, <laughs> we're not actually trapped. Right. It just right. seems that way. It can be a convincing mirage. It's a beautiful paradox. It is. It is when we... Uh, when we're not trying to change anything, somehow things change. Definitely. Very profound. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. 
How can people find out about your book and your website and your music? I, I, one of the gifts I like to give people is your music because it, it often really impacts people in a heartfelt way. And we certainly need that in today's world. My website's easy. It's just my name, johnaston.com. And uh, everything is there, music books. And I'm also on Spotify for people that are Spotify lovers. You can listen to me for free on Spotify. Hmm. Nice. I'm writing that down. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you have to buy Spotify to be able to do it. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, that's a fun, fun way to hear it. Any comments, Brian? Anything you want to say? I enjoyed it very much, and it's something that we actually both have in common. I'm also a singer, oh, although wonderful. my genre is more um, musical comedy and show tunes. Um, although I, I did play folk guitar in college and, and sing a lot. So I really uh, enjoy your your songs and your style. And I think they're very deep and, and, and beautiful. Thank you. Do you ever yeah, get the like sense it. that that creativity is not really coming from the human? Yeah, I mean, you know, if we really look, we can't say where anything's coming from. Mm -hmm. Really? I mean, right? So in that sense. <laughs> no, it's all coming from the mystery, John. I, I've pinned it down. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Yes. So, yeah. So in that sense, it's like we're creating it, you know, and we're not literally, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I don't know how to make anything in a sense, you know, I don't know how to funny, you know, all these things we sort of just are doing all the time, like words and concepts. And I mean, we have no idea how we're even generating those. I mean, how, how do you create a thought? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't have the first idea how to do that. <laughs> so, Me neither. <laughs> so, so in that sense, it's like almost laughable. It's like that we feel as if somehow we did it. You know, it's like, yeah. no, we're, we're yeah. being done. We're being moved by some inexplicable force or intelligence or that we obviously partake of. It is our nature. We are that force and intelligence. That's what we're made of, you could say. So in that sense, you know, we're not creating any of it. Yeah. Well, thank you for the generosity of being the channel through which that force can come to us. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Fun is good. Fun is good. <laughs> That's what we got, actually. So I want to hear your meditation uh, from, or the okay. thing from your book. All right. Well, so this meditation is called The Borderless Field of Being. Notice that you are here, that you're alive. Let yourself feel this simple fact, the undeniable presence of your own existence, the simple feeling of being. Notice that no effort is required for this to be so. No strategies, no techniques, no manipulations are needed in order to create the sense of aliveness. It's naturally present existence, streaming forth spontaneously, generating and sustaining itself moment by moment. As you feel the presence of this field of being, let yourself venture out to the farthest edges of it. Can you find anything there? Any point where the field of being comes to an end? Can you locate a line separating the field from anything else? Or is there just an edgeless continuum of being without border or boundary? Notice that no matter what might be occurring within this boundaryless field, being remains as it is, unalterably alive and present. Feel the way in which the field is not circumstance dependent. A thousand different thoughts, feelings, sensations can appear and disappear, and all the while, the field remains. Being continues to be. Existence continues to exist, no matter the shape or form it may be taking. Feel the ease, the fullness, the rich lusciousness of being.
while we may imagine ourselves to be these isolated creatures, vulnerable subjects in a world of objects and circumstances, see that experientially this is not the case. Feel the way in which the field of being, the field of experience itself, is actually seamless. An indivisible, all-inclusive expanse. An edgeless space of invulnerability that nothing can harm or there is nothing apart from it. Here you are sitting here, and yet there is no finality to you, no point where beingness ceases to be, no place where the edge of you comes to an end. Feel this, revel in the vast, luscious infinity that you are. Hmm. Lovely. That's a powerful meditation in and of itself. Yes, it is. Well, I encourage all our listeners to try out the practices in this extraordinary moment with, as John puts it, a sense of lighthearted curiosity and playfulness. I loved that phrase in your book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, that spirit of playfulness, you know, childlike playfulness, you know, it, sometimes it, it gets a bit, I can't remember if it ended up in the book or not, but there, there's, I wrote a chapter called Overdramatizing the Path. and It did, uh, and that was where I got that quote from, that section. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yes. Where it's like, you know, oh my God, it's like this onerous thing. It's so serious. It's like, sometimes you go to like, I don't want to pick on Buddhism, but you can go to like a Buddhist meditation thing. It's like, God, it's so serious and like kind of dense with a kind of heaviness. And like, really? I don't, I don't know. Uh, what if this really wasn't serious? Like at all? <laughs> this was play. Yeah. yeah. Yep. You're talking to the uh, writer of Awareness Games. There and Games go. was a, a, a key part of that title. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why not? I mean, why not make it playful? That feels to be the spirit of, uh, I don't know, reminds me of my first teacher, spiritual teacher, Yogananda. And uh, at the, in that book, Autobiography of a Yogi, you know, all these amazing spiritual experiences with these different beings that he met along this journey. And, and then he has this big kind of awakening experience and he writes this poem called Samadhi detailing the experience and all this stuff about galaxies exploding and the oneness of everything. And he gets to the end of this long poem and he says, and I, a little bubble of laughter become the sea of mirth itself. Oh, I love that. So where does he end up? The great cosmic realization the sea of mirth itself. So mm-hmm. I like that. Feels yeah, true. Hey, yeah. Maybe there's a song in that. Maybe. Anyway, this has been fun. And yeah. uh, uh, your book's name again, if, if you remember it, is called? This Extraordinary Moment. Okay. Yeah. Really and, well. and this, this is an extraordinary moment, isn't it? Yeah. Always. Yep. Sure is. And this one too. Yeah. Oh, one and there too, goes another exactly. one. <laughs> there goes another one. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with both of you. I've enjoyed it. Uh, feels like we could talk for hours. So. We could. Yeah, it does but feel I, that way. And when I was reading your book, I felt, oh my gosh, how am I going to ever <laughs> contain all the thoughts and ideas and questions in 30, 40 minutes? But no, good luck with that, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. But it was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, likewise. So let me just sign off to our listeners, uh, fellow awareness explorers. Listen to John's music, try out his methods in his book. And as we always like to say at the end of our, uh, also we have a bunch of meditations on awarenessexplorers.com that you can now look at and learn more about our various episodes. But most important, as always, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website, 
at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And we'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.